Isn't this awesome? It was, uh, yes, it was 60 degrees. <clears throat> and yes, it was probably about 59 in the water. But uh, it, was, it was such a wonderful morning. We baptized people from ages you know, like 8 to 68 or something like that. I don't know. And it's it just representative, uh, just little glimpses right here, of the life change that's happening in our church all the time. We try to give you glimpses. We try to show some stories with you because it's important that you know it, that you see it, that we serve a God who is working and moving and changing lives and people are responding and it's so, so fun to be a part of. Um, typically, we have we point people, if, you, if you're here and you're kind of like feeling that, you know what, I, I need to kind of make a declarative statement. Of, I want to follow Jesus. I want to I be about this. We point people toward Rooted, and at the end of the Rooted session, there's a baptism, and it's awesome, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but sometimes we miss some people. There's people that uh, can't do it for whatever reason, or their family's not there, or they can't make the night, or whatever. And so we do these beach baptisms periodically as well. So if that's you, if, you wanna, if you've already done Rooted, but you want to get in on that, uh, just let Neil or Erica or somebody at the Welcome Center know that. We'll put you on the list for the future, and, uh, and that's just a great thing. Have you had a dream growing up? Perhaps, perhaps as you were young, just play with me. Shout out to me, like a dream that you had when you were a kid. Astronaut. Astronaut. The very first is the most traditional. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm glad that it was said so I didn't have to say it. What else? What's a dream that you had as a kid? Professional baseball player. I want to be a pro major league baseball player. What else? President of the United States. That was a woman who just shouted that out. <laughs> Good for you. Anything else we want to play? Superhero. Animal trainer and superhero. <clears throat> superhero. Uh, how's that dream coming for you? Is that, is that, <laughs> how's that playing out? Uh, you know what? I think, that, uh, I think that we all have dreams. I think that everybody in here has at some point at least had a dream. Uh, maybe something about life, business, home. Maybe you wanted to start a nonprofit. Maybe you wanted to go start some orphanage in Africa. Maybe you wanted to, you know, end world hunger. Maybe, you, you know, there's all kinds of things, small and large, that maybe you have had stirrings, had promptings. For some of us, we feel like our dream is dead because it's, it clearly has not happened and we're kind of past the season of life where it would have happened. Maybe it was a college that you wanted to go to, probably USC, and you, and 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 now, and now you're you're just like, uh, you know, I'm 50, you know, and, and I, I I already did that thing. I'm past that prime, and I can't, you know. Maybe it's a relationship that you felt like you were supposed to have, a person that you were supposed to marry, but but she married somebody else, and uh, and so that dream is kind of dead. Maybe it's. Maybe it's some job that you thought you were destined for, but you got passed over or, or, or whatever it may be. There's some of us in this room, let's be honest, that feel like a dream is dead. <clears throat> Maybe there's some of you that feel like the dream is not yet dead, but it's just out of reach. Like, I just can't figure out how to get there. There's circumstances in my life. There's, there's patterns. There's difficulties. There's, there's things, obstacles that are preventing me from getting there. It's just out of reach. I'm not sure how I can become that. I'm not sure how I can achieve that. I'm not sure how I can have that. What do you do when a dream 
has, is just, it's just right there. What do you do if you're here and you're like, I don't even have a dream. I'm, I feel stuck. I feel purposeless. I feel like I should have a dream or a vision for my life, and I don't. I'll tell you one thing that you can do is you can get around something that God is blessing. You get around something where God is clearly moving. He's clearly doing something. There's something happening there. A vision is coming to fruition in some way, shape, or form. You get around that, and then you figure out how you can play a role in that. That, that how you're wired, how you're designed in some way can participate in this thing that God is already blessing. You see, I've seen time and time again that dreams and vision are contagious. That when you get around people that are doing stuff, that are, that are being used by God in some great way, it has a way of kind of rubbing off on you. It, it helps you to maybe focus and realign on things that matter more. Maybe, maybe your dreams are at this level, but being around something that God's really blessing, it elevates you to see something new and in a different way, and you see yourself differently, and you think, I'm just like that guy on the screen who's really screwed up his life, but, but maybe there's still something that I can do. Maybe it's not over for me yet. Maybe I can still play and participate, and maybe, just maybe, God has designed me in a way that's unique, that, that my contribution is unlike anyone else's contribution because I am unlike anybody else. I believe that God has a dream for everybody. I believe that he gives us visions and ideas and things to chase after. He whispers those to us. The question is, are we paying attention, and are we willing to do anything about it? How do you know if the dream is from God and not just like some silly little thing. I want to be a Spider-Man, you know. How do you know if the dream is actually from God? One thing is that the dream will have to do with caring for other people. The dream will benefit other people, not just you. The dream is from God because God's made it really clear that he wants our lives to be about loving him and loving others. That's what he says all of scripture boils down to. Like, don't miss this. You got to get this. This is Jesus. You know, gospel in a nutshell is everything is about loving God with all you are and loving others too. So certainly a vision, a dream that he gives you to contribute with the, with the scarce amount of years and breaths that you, breaths that you have is going to be about benefiting other people. It will, it will serve other people. It will, be, it will have to do with caring for other people. Secondly, it will connect to a passion, ability, or blessing that he's already given you, a way he's already wired you, designed you, someone, people that he's already put in your path, stuff, resources that he's already given you. He will leverage the way he has made you and how he has blessed you for the sake of the thing, whatever the vision or the dream is. And then lastly, the way you know that this is a dream from God is that it'll be impossible to do on your own. If it's something that you can just knock out in a weekend, you're just like, whatever. No, that's just a little goal. But a dream, a vision from God is going to be impossible for you to do by yourself. Because why would God give you a, a vision just for you to run off and do it yourself without him? He gives us things that are too big for us. So I want to do two things this morning. I want to help inspire you to take action in the pursuit of some vision or dream that God's given you. And maybe if you don't have that thing yet, maybe it'll begin to crystallize, or maybe the action is simply just to be around other people who are doing stuff 
to be around our church or something else that God is clearly blessing and to see what happens as you begin to serve and participate. Maybe that's it. But my hope for you, number one, is that you would be inspired to take action in the pursuit of the dream. And number two, I want to invite you to take action as a part of the vision for our church. So there's an individual application and a collective application that I'm hoping that everybody participates in of the vision of where our church is headed. Now, I'm telling you right from the start that I'm going to ask you for something at the end of this little message. I'm telling you right up front in full transparency that this message will have everything to do with you and that you can apply it in each individual life and how that plays out. And I'm going to ask you for something at the end with respect to the vision and where our church is going. But starting out, I want to take you to a story from the Old Testament. This is a story from the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, right at the beginning here. I'll give you the context after I read these first couple of verses. After the death of Moses, the Bible says, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you, Joshua, and all the people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. So the same promise, Joshua, that I made to Moses, I'm going to make to you. We're going to cross the Jordan River, and I'm going to give you that land. Now, the Israelites, including Joshua and including Moses leading, had been wandering around in the desert, not a very big desert, for 40 years. Because God had whispered to Moses this, you know, 40 years prior, he said, hey, I want you to go into Egypt, I want you to say, let my people go, and we're all going to leave, we're going to march out of here. The Red Sea crosses, he parts it, he, well, they walk across, right? Now they're in this desert. 40 years ago, the promise of this promised land was given to Moses. Here they are 40 years later, no promised land, and Moses is dead. So Moses, this is important to note, Moses did not enter the promised land, even though God had said, I'm taking my people there. You're like, that is cruel. Like, what is, why would, Moses is like the most famous guy in the history of the Old Testament, like, and he couldn't even get to the promised thing that God had said for the people? What is, what's the deal with that? Well, it goes back more than just 40 years. It, go back, it goes back hundreds of years. This is actually a promise that God had made to Abraham. Father Abraham, many sons, that guy, he's famous, the, the Jewish patriarch. God had promised him that he would have tons of descendants and would inherit this land. Here's what he says in Genesis 13, 15. It says, For all the land, Abraham, which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. But here we are hundreds of years later, and his descendants are still not in the land. So we've had Abraham, we've had his kid Isaac, we've had his kid Jacob. He had Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the one that was kind of the blessed one, right? And then Jacob had 13 kids, one of whom was Joseph. Joseph had a rocky up and down life. He got thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, had a really, really rough kind of young adulthood. And then he was elevated to the second highest position in all of Egypt, where he had been sold into slavery, right? And then there's a famine in the land, so all, all his relatives go down to Egypt, and they're there in Egypt. And then Joseph is about to die. This is, you know, all these years later, hundreds of years later, and God says in Genesis 50, 24, Joseph said to his brothers, 
I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land, Egypt, to the land which he has promised on oath to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, to grandpa and great-grandpa. He made these promises. And they're like, man, still we're not there. We're in Egypt and you're dying. Jacob's gone. Isaac's gone. Abraham, they're long gone. And we're still not to the promised land. And then it's years and years still later because they're in Egypt and the next Pharaoh, the next ruler of Egypt is really oppressive, puts these people, makes them slaves. 400 years they're slaves in Egypt before God sends Moses. That's a long time. So do you think that these heroes of the Old Testament, that they just got hosed? I mean, God, that's just, that's horrible. How would you promise that and then let them go through all of this? They didn't even actually see the promise fulfilled. Why would you do that? What, 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 are, you, what are you doing with this? Here's a truth that we need to wrap our minds around. The promised land is about land, but the promised land is really about life. The promised land, yes, is about land, but the promised land is really about life. There's a journey. According to the history of the story of God that we read in the Bible, and according, if you even look at your own lives, place matters, but it seems less important than the process. There's something about the process, a word that we hate, right? There's something about the process that God actually does the promise through the process. Yeah, there is a place, there's a, there's a thing out there, there's a dream, there's a vision, it's there. But it happens in process. Maybe your promised land out there somewhere is relationship. And you just think, I, if I could just win that relationship and then I'll, and that's when, and God's saying, look, look, look. I invented relationships. I want one with you, and you're missing this. Don't worry about the promised land so much as walking with me in this process. Maybe you are still searching for a job, and it's been months, and the, and the job is the promised land. And God is going, you know what? I designed you to work. I know. Maybe this process is about a humbling so that God can raise you higher. Maybe there's something to this process that he is doing on purpose or an achievement. He, he knows that he's made you a driven person, but maybe it's not about getting there. Maybe as, as fast as you think that you should. Maybe it's about how you get there that he's concerned about. See, some of you think that life starts when you reach some promised land, when you get something, but that's a lie. And if you believe that lie, you will never be satisfied. Because if you can't be satisfied now walking with God in the process, the promised land will be unsatisfying too. Because God's designed us for a relationship and for a journey. The promised land is a place, but the process is more important. I have a tendency, I can have a tendency to to kind of get out in front of God where I feel like I sense some kind of vision, a dream, a thing, an idea that he gives me, and I think, okay, good, got it from here, and just go try to run it down and make it happen. I get myself into trouble every time. 
uh, most recently, like two years ago, I, I felt for 12 years that I was supposed to create content, speaking, writing, and stuff like that. And so, of course, then that means I'm going to be published, right? And so, I, of course, I'm going to be published. And so when I write a book, of course, some big publisher is going to want to publish this book, but they didn't. And I got turned down by a bunch of publishers. And then there was this one little publisher who was like, yeah, 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 we'll take this project. And so they took it. And I was like, yes, I deserve to be published. I probably deserve a New York Times bestseller. So let's get this ball rolling. And I just jump in. I didn't, get con- I didn't consult. I didn't talk to people about it. I just met with the guy, and he promised these things, and it looked like it was happening. And I was like, sure. And I signed a terrible contract that I'm still digging my way out of because I thought that the vision was there, and so certainly I can know how to get there, and it must be this way, and this is the only guy that will take me right now, so I'll just jump in. And it's been a mess. And that's what happens when we take a dream or a vision from God and we try to do it our way on our timetable, it becomes a mess. So the first lesson that I want us to hear loud and clear today, it's a really annoying lesson, but it's this. God's promises require patience. You're going to want your outline because there's some fill-ins here to keep up, and I'm going to move pretty quickly from here. The first lesson is God's promises require patience. It's not just you. None of us like that. It's difficult. We think that we know what we want or we think that we've heard from God or we think that this makes sense or this should be the future and we don't want to wait and we don't want to go slow and we don't want to have it go this way and that way. We just want to be there now. No one likes to wait and yet God's promises, God's sized dreams require you and I to be patient. So you'll need to decide I'll wait for great and not settle for good enough. I'll wait for great and not settle for good enough. How many times have you rushed into something thinking, hoping that the end would justify the means? It doesn't because God's not just interested in the destination. He's interested in the process of how we get there. And there are times... When we go through a process and you arrive at the promised land and it's right there, just beyond your grasp, you can see it. It's just on the other side. And that's where we find, that's where we continue in the story of Joshua. It's right there. After all this time, God has led them to this place and he says, we're going to cross this river and right over there is the promised land. It's going to happen. Here we go. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim which I hear is a crappy place. And and they went from there to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Now, I wanted to show you just a little image. This is a little map. So Shittim would be over here. There's no other way to pronounce it. That's the last time I'll say it, but it's just, it's right there. And they're marching this way, and there's the Jordan River. Up top is the Sea of Galilee, and it runs down this direction into the Dead Sea. And they're crossing right here. And if you know anything about this story, you know that the people of God go into this promised land and they have to take it over. And so they have this fight at Jericho, which isn't really a fight. The walls come down, the famous story. But right here is where this begins to happen. This is where the story really kicks off. This is the crux. This is it. They're right there at the water's edge where that arrow is when our story takes place. Verse 2, three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. 
Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Not only do God's promises require patience, but God's paths require guidance. God's paths require guidance. You've never been this way before. What makes you think that you know how to get there? Now, God's Spirit is here, and He's around us, and He's all over the place, and He's in us. And yet he has a way. He likes to use other people. In this instance, he points to these priests and he says they're carrying this ark, which they believed in that day to be the very presence of God. They're carrying the presence of God. Follow that. That's going to show you the way to the promised land, the place where I'm leading you, the vision that I've given you. Follow the people carrying the presence of God. So ask yourself, who in my life helps guide me to God's presence? Who in my life points me to him? Because there's a lot of people in all of our lives that will point in different directions. There's a lot of things in our lives that will point in different directions. If you don't know who's helping you follow the presence of God and what he is blessing and what he is asking of you and inviting you into, you'll follow things like crazy people posting all their fake lives on social media, right? Just the, the... allure, the illusion of what life really looks like. You'll follow gurus that promise to teach you how to make more money. You'll follow relationship specialists that tell you what you want to hear. So ask yourself, what am I watching while I'm waiting? And who am I watching? What am I learning from? Who's my guide? Are they pointing me to the presence of God or are they pointing me somewhere else? There are guides in your life if you'll look for them. And if you'll listen to them, God will use them. So God promises, his promises and his dreams that he puts in our hearts require patience and guidance. And number three, they require preparation. Look at this next verse, verse five. It says, then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. So they're right there at the river's edge and God says to them, now purify yourselves. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something crazy. It's going to be good. But right now, I want you to purify yourself. Right now, in other words, I want you to get, I want you to get your heart right. I want to get your, you to get your mind right. <clears throat> it's not about perfection. It's about preparation. It's about a reset. It's about a refocusing. It's about a reconnecting. It's not God won't bless you because of your sins. I know that people have said that and you've talked to people and people have made you feel that way. Like, oh, you're in the situation you are because of your sin and God's mad at you and he's never going to bless you as long as you're doing the bad stuff and whatever that means. Everybody has sin in their life. None of us are perfect. None of us are living perfect. The, the key is that it's not okay. To have the attitude that it's not okay. I'm not just going to tolerate it. I'm going to regularly rhythmically, like we've been talking about in this series, reset, refocus, realign, reconnect, purify, as this passage suggests. Because then God's going to do some crazy stuff, and he doesn't want you to miss it, and he wants you to be tuned in, and he wants you to make the most of this opportunity, and he doesn't want the thing to pass you by and you be stuck out here just focusing on your stuff. Sometimes, our behaviors delay God's blessing. They do. 
But it's not because God's vindictive and he's just withholding from you. It's just practical consequence because if you're dating somebody that you know you shouldn't be dating, then you're not going to be with the person that you should be with. It's just practical, right? And if you're angry that you're not with the person that you think that you should be with and you're a bitter person, you're not going to be as attractive to the person that you think that you should be with. It's practical, right? And if you're filling your mind with crap all the time, you're not really preparing your mind for the next season of growth and achievement and whatever else that's coming. It's practical stuff. So we delay often God's blessings with our behavior. And so he says, pause, reset, refocus, reconnect, purify, because tomorrow I'm going to do amazing things in front of you. It's going to be so good. Patience. God's path requires guidance and preparation. And the fourth and final point is God's purposes require steps of faith. This is the best part of the story because this is where it gets crazy, okay? Here, they're all here. They've done the preparation thing. Now they're gathered. And here's what, here's what he says, verse 8. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, this is God talking to Joshua and the leaders, when you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river. To which you'd be like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Now, I've heard, about, everyone's heard about, and a couple of us maybe even saw, when you did the whole parting of the Red Sea thing, I, Moses just held up a staff, and then you did it. What do you mean, get in the water? What do you, what, get in the water? That's, really? You want us to actually, like, in? You, how come he just, see, if I, if I could just hold up a thing, then people might think that I was just, like, looking at the stars. Like, if you don't come through, then it, I, could, I could play that off as some kind of a little experiment that I was or testing the wind kind of a deal. But if we get in the water with the Ark of the Covenant, there's no going back. We're going to get swept up. This is, this is not a little stream or babbling brook. Look at this image. It's something like that. I mean, that's the actual Jordan River. And at this time, it was flood season. So it was at least this. It's not a little toe. It's not a little foot. You're getting in. If you're carrying this large box that's supposed to be God's presence, if you're carrying that with some other people, then you have to get pretty much waist deep before they're even in the water. That's commitment. And this is a fast-moving body of water. You have to get in the river, God tells his people. And then once you get in, I'll do the miracle. You know, there's so many people that pray and they have faith and they follow and they get up right to the edge and they think, come on, no miracle. Well, oh well. And they turn around and they go back and they give up. And God said, no, no, no. Step in. I actually want you to step in. Yeah, but other people... They had a miracle that went this way. I want you to step in. Well, how come you let them lead that thing? And you, he had a cool staff and they, they, all this. That's, that's, that was that miracle. 
I want you to step in. I want you to get waist deep. Do you think you could find I want you to just throw off all abandon because there's no going back once you get into that water. You're showing that you have to trust God, that God has to come through. There's no hedging your bets when you're waist deep in a fast-moving river. It's a shift, requires a shift from talking about to taking action, from just kind of complacently praying for to praying through and in and in a little bit further. God, you have to show up. God, you have to show up. God, you, oh, wow. He showed up. And he parted the waters and they all walked through on dry ground. But it took a bold step of faith. When, uh, you know how we, Hillary and I moved down here? We were living up in Washington because her mom had passed away and she was still grieving. We spent three years. Her whole family was up in the Gig Harbor, Washington area. So that was family, that was home, that was everything that was safe for her after losing her best friend and her mom. And I thought we were going to be there for a long time. And then all of a sudden one day, I'm restless with the work. Things aren't playing out the way I thought up there. And she comes to me one day and she felt like God had prompted her to say, if you think that we need to move down to Southern California where you're from, where your connections are, I'm willing to do it. And I was like, yes, yes, that's, that's exactly what I think that we should do. But she said, but here's, here's the test. We'll do it, but you have to have some kind of income coming in. So I flew like the next week down here. And I got a contract for $7,500 over three months, $2,500 a month for three months. That was it. That was all I was promised. That was all I knew. And I moved us, Hillary and it came with me, we moved down here, $2,500 a month for three months. That's all we knew. She didn't have a job, found a place to stay at the last second. It was a big step of faith. That job only lasted for three months. And then right at the, at the right time, I just, I just happened to be playing volleyball, of all things, at the beach. Met Kenton Bishore. A couple of weeks later, he's saying, I, I think that you're the one that's supposed to lead Mariners Huntington Beach. Like, it's not what we were looking for. I didn't fill out applications. I didn't know that wasn't the direction. And God just did it and made it so clear. And look what he's done since. But it requires a step of faith. You don't know how the promised land is going to look like necessarily. And we need to let go of the entitlement of thinking that we do. And instead, we just need to be willing to step in. God has to do the miracle. He wants us to live and trust him in the process. And that requires stepping in. Some of us, we're using preparation season and the patience deal as a tool to procrastinate. And he's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Patience is part of this. Guidance is part of this. Preparation is part of this. And so is taking bold steps of faith. And you're going to have to get wet before I do the miracle. What would be a courageous step for you today? What would be a step of faith that's uncomfortable, 
but he takes you a little bit closer to the dream, to the vision, or maybe just closer to the God of a future dream or vision that you're just going to count on that he gives you, what would be a step of faith for you personally? There's something, I believe, that he would ask of you, a new step. Well, I'll tell you what it is that I'm asking you for our whole church. I believe that God has given us a vision for this church. And we are right at this obstacle, this body of water, this thing that's in the way of us getting to the next spot. It's not the spot, the promised land, whatever. It's it, But it's clearly the next spot that God has for us. If you've been here a while, you know that we've been full. We've continued to add services and we continue to fill services. And we continue to have real difficulty in this library space. They won't let us add any more services. It's really difficult to manage in this place. And yet we're committed to reaching more people, your friends, your family members, your neighbors. We won't stop. We won't stop because people need the hope that we have. And so we'll keep on going. And you know that we've been exploring, if you've been here for the last six months, other places. Ever since I've been here, we've been looking for other places that we can and we had one come up. We were really close to Regency Movie Theater at Beach and Warner. We were going to take that thing over. And then the city said, nah, we're, the zoning doesn't work for that. It's not going to happen. So we were, the air was out of our sails. And a couple months ago, really seemingly out of nowhere, we've just been praying like crazy as a staff and as elders, just praying like crazy ever since. And a few months ago, the city council voted to change the zoning for that area allowing us to be in, just like that. We didn't spend any money. We didn't do any crazy stunts. We, they just changed it. And so for the past few weeks, we've been in negotiations, again, for that Regency movie theater to take it over full-time, 24-7. I realize that for some of you, it breaks your heart a little bit because that's the only place you see movies. <laughs> You're like, the nine-month-old movie, that's my jam. That's right, my... That's my wheelhouse. But that's what we're believing that God's about to do. But here's the thing. Even if he doesn't do that, we believe that he's about to do something in this next year for sure and take us to the next place. And I have felt for several months now that he wants us as a church, me as a leader, to step into the water now, even before the miracle happens. So even though we're still in negotiations and there's no inked deal and we don't know how it's gonna play out, what I'm asked, what I feel like I'm being asked, and so what I'm asking of you is to step in. So we're starting a fundraising campaign today for a million dollars. Because we believe, we're calling it Step In, and we believe that no matter what he does, if it's the movie theater or if it's another box, it's gonna require at least a million dollars for us to renovate it and make it work and get the seats right and have an awesome space for kids and for youth and a community center for the community. And it's just, that's just the reality. That's just what it's gonna cost. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna ask you, each one of you to participate in that, every one of us. And I know for some of you, you haven't given anything to this church yet. And I know that that's a difficult thing for you to do. But I'm gonna ask you to step in. If you're here and you're here for the very first time, and you're thinking, what is he talking about? I knew it. All churches just care about money. And this is, this is the first time we've ever done this. 
Don't leave here thinking that thought. It's just not us. However, no great vision, no great dream ever happens without bold steps of faith and without sacrifice. They don't happen without those things. And so I am humbly yet unashamedly asking you to participate because there's no other way. There's no other way that we get to the next place except for a bold step of faith and sacrifice from everybody. So we're going to try to try to raise a million dollars. And it will be a sacrifice because that's a million dollars above what you're already giving to the church. Because we need to keep operating and yet we also need this million dollars to get into the next place. So I get it. I get that it's a sacrifice. Hillary and I, we've been praying about it for the last several weeks and we've been trying to figure out what are we going to sacrifice? A couple of things just for example because it's just full transparency. We've already cut cable. We're going to cut gym membership. I'm just going to work out. I'm just going to do push-ups, hopefully. Uh, and, and, and she's cutting manicures and pedicures. It's just done. That's a, that's a sacrifice that we're making. And the amount that we feel like we're supposed to give, we're not going to be able to do it unless God shows up because he's just going to need to do some other stuff in our lives for us to be able to do that. But when he does it, we're going to give it. We're going to give it. So it's a $1 million campaign over the next two years. We're not asking you to write checks today. We're just saying, would you pray? And would you consider what God would invite you to do? This is not a transactional deal. No one's going to come to your house and say, hey, two years ago, you said you were going to do this, and uh, you're really short. That's not what this is. I'm not going to know numbers. Only one person in our church, or our staff, is going to know the numbers so that we can just keep a tally of where we are, or we add a million, all that kind of stuff. So it's between you and God, and that's really, really, really what I want it to be, a journey with you and God. And I think that if you listen, that he'll tell you something. And it might be a number, it might be a figure that's really uncomfortable to you. Because it should require some sacrifice. It should require some sacrifice of me, of all of us. It just will. That's how this stuff works. And that's how you take steps in faith. And you just watch God show up. You watch him provide. You watch what he does. And you get to be a part of the miracle. So on your way out, there's going to be envelopes. And I want every one of you or at least every single family to grab an envelope. In it, you'll find a letter from me explaining the whole thing. You'll find a prayer card because we, we need to bathe this thing in prayer. We still need permits and all that kind of stuff to work out. We still need the final negotiations. We still need all that to happen. A magnet to stick up on the thing just to remind you to be praying, to be in this with us. Make sure that you grab that on your way out. As we step in, together. There's going to be three more messages. I'm going to, the next three Sundays, I'm going to talk about the vision of our church, where we're going from here. And then on the third, uh, May 17th, it's going to be Commitment Sunday. We're all going to bring our commitment cards that are in the envelope, and we're going to say, this, this is what we're going to do. This is our commitment. God, we're in for this. We're stepping in faith and trusting you. You have to show up. Here we go. That'll happen on May 17th. Would you consider, would you listen? Would you take whatever step he's asking you to take for you personally, the vision, the dream for you, and then with us? God, I pray that you would speak, that you would prompt, that you would encourage, that you would embolden us to take the steps of faith that you're inviting us into in our life, personally 
and collectively as a church. In Jesus' name.